Now, that was a great time. If, I know many of you participated and helped and served in, in, uh, in various capacities. If and when we do that again, man, if you sat on the sidelines, dive in. It was a great, a great time. So I've been here just over a year, um, and I've gotten to know uh, many of you through a variety of capacities, whether it's on the worship team or through uh, ABF or working with youth a little bit. I, I've gotten to know a bunch of you, but there's still a lot of you that I have not met and I've not gotten to know many of you. And so and my plan is, is to know everybody. And so as I get to know you, I just wanted to kind of give you a heads up of some questions I might ask you. Um, there, there's some questions that I could ask you that your answer to me will, will, tell, will tell me a lot about you. And so I just, I, I, I want to give those questions to you right now. Um, as we work through them, I don't, I don't want you to like raise your hand or say your answer. You might make some enemies around you. Um, but, uh, but I just want, I, I wanted to give you a heads up. Uh, th- th- this is the test. Okay. So, so the first one, the first one, easy one. Um, so what a burger or in and out. You, you're terrible listeners. You guys are terrible listeners. The, uh, the answer, the way you answer that question will tell me a lot about you, where you're from. So somebody in the first service said, neither. Uh, but that tells me, that tells me something about you. Um, okay, uh, let's try this one. Let's try, um, round rock donuts or Krispy Kreme. Uh, okay. Alright, let's try this one. Let's try, uh, football or football. And the, the fact that some of you actually call it football tells me a lot, too, uh, what I need to know about you. Okay, this, a little bit different. Um, what, what do you call this? Is this a breakfast taco or a breakfast burrito? You see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's good. That's good. Good to know. All right, what about this? Would you, um, would you want to uh, vacation in a place like this, like a city where there's lots to do? Or would you want a vacation in a place like this where there's nothing to do? Beach, okay. All right, okay. And this is the end all be all right here. This is this is it, okay? You ready? Wait, wait. Or Sam Houston. Which <laughs> So, let me give you a little secret. Let me give you a little secret here. If uh you get to be on the stage, you get to pick which images go on the screen. And there's a certain image that I was not going to put on the screen. I don't even know what the mascot of Sam Houston, the goat herders or what? I don't. Oh, okay. Oh, I got you. I got you. So by answering these questions, you, I, can, I can find out about you. I, I don't know. Um, but your answer to these questions tells a lot uh, to me about the kind of person you are. But none of those questions really matter. There is one question that I want to look at this morning um, that is more important than all of these. In fact, eternity hangs in the balance on how you answer this particular question. You might call it the mother of all questions. So if you've got a Bible, turn to it, Matthew chapter 8, um, or scroll to it, whatever copy of the scriptures you have. Matthew chapter 8 is where we're going to be. We're just going to, we're going to move throughout the whole chapter, but I, I want to start by reading uh, verses 23 through 27. We're going to kind of summarize some parts and move around, uh, but kind of the, the centerpiece of what we're talking about this morning starts in verse 23 uh, of Matthew chapter 8. And God's word says this, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. 
And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. Jesus was asleep. And they went and they woke him saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Father, I pray this morning that your word would ring true in the hearts of people And that your Holy Spirit would speak truth to us as we look to your word. So help us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So of all the questions I could ask you this morning, this is one that we must all answer. And and really a non-answer is an answer. What sort of man is this? What sort of man is this? As, As I look at Matthew 8, I see that question answered. As we look together at at all of these stories in Matthew chapter 8, I see that question is answered. What sort of man is this? And really, I I see three things. The first one is this. He's a man of compassion. He's a man of compassion. At the beginning of Matthew chapter 8, the very first story, Jesus heals a leper. In verse 2 it says, And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will... You can make me clean. Now, if you've been around church for any amount of time, you've heard this story before, um, and you just breeze right through it. In Matthew chapter 8, it's three verses. So if you were to read this chapter, you just read right through it. Um, but, but we don't really often stop to think about the story. Now, what exactly is happening in this story? And, and I think about a leper. A leper was, uh, was somebody who was rejected from the community. They would, they would uh, be diagnosed by the priest. You've got leprosy. Leprosy was not a disease that you got better from. It, it was one that killed you. And so that, that was a, a terrible diagnosis. You have leprosy. And what, what that meant was you couldn't be around people anymore. And so your family, they, they would go outside of the city and they would take some essential belongings. They would take some food. They would build you a little makeshift hut outside of the city. Um, and then that's where you would live for the rest of your life. Your family might come visit you for a while and, and bring you some more food. Um, but basically, that, that's how you were going to live. The, the, le- the leper suffered. He suffered physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Physically, it was a disease, a horrible disease that ended up killing you. And so you suffered physically, but you also suffered emotionally. See, family would visit for a while. But then over time, you know how that goes. Over time, they kind of stop visiting and as the disease starts to take its toll, you're, you're, you're kind of not a great person to visit kind of thing. Um, there was no physical touch. No embrace was allowed. So hugging a family member, once you figured out you had leprosy, you were never touched again. Because you would contaminate other people, and so you were never touched again. And not only that, not only were you never hugged or embraced or handshake, not only that, if, if you came, if somebody accidentally happened upon you, You had to call out to them, unclean, unclean. In other words, I have leprosy, don't come any closer. So people, human beings, could not even come within 50 to 60 feet of you. You were all alone. You were by yourself and you suffered emotionally, but you also suffered spiritually. The religious thinking of the day 
was, and, and it was wrong, but the, but the religious thinking of the day was, if you had a disease like that, you must have done something wrong. You must have sinned against God in a way that, that's unforgivable because this disease is incurable. And so the leper, you just imagine what that would be like for the rest of your days. You just wonder, what have I done? How have I sinned against God that I would be uh, punished in this way? And, and so there was this suffering spiritually. I must be a bad person. So imagine the scene now. It says that the leper came to Jesus and knelt before him. Jesus is there and there's a huge crowd. He's amassed this huge following of these people that are wanting to be healed and to, uh, to hear Jesus teach. He's got this huge crowd and it says the leper came before him and knelt. So imagine the scene. The leper is approaching Jesus and the people are probably saying, hey, you're forgetting something. Unclean. You're unclean. You're unclean. Don't come any closer. And, and he just keeps on coming forward. See, the emotional pain, the um, the spiritual pain, the, the physical pain was greater than any pain they could have suffered as they approached Jesus. This is his one last chance, last ditch effort. I, I know Jesus can heal me, so I, I got to go to him. Whatever the cost is, I, I've got to go to Jesus because I know he can, he can heal me. I know he can. And you could probably imagine the crowd, they may be starting to throw some rocks and throw some sticks and say, no, 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 don't come any closer. You're a leper, don't come closer. And the Bible says that the leper knelt at Jesus' feet. Well, there's a huge crowd. How did he kneel at Jesus? How did he get to Jesus' feet? The crowd just parts. They don't want to be anywhere near this leper. They don't want to be anywhere near him. But Jesus stands firm. And he, he watches as this man approaches him, and he, and he kneels down. Okay? He says, Lord, if you will, heal me. Not if you can, if, if you will, if you want to, heal me. And I want you to pay very close attention. Verse 3, it says, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And as we read this story, we just read right over that. Awesome. Jesus cleansed a leper. But did, did you notice it, though? How did Jesus heal the leper? Did, did, he, did he speak a word? Lots of times, Jesus would just speak a word, be, be clean. And, and that person would be healed of their disease. Did, did, he, did he have the person rub some dirt in their eyes? Jesus did that one time. Did, or there's another time in the Bible where, where somebody heals a leper and tells them to go down to the Jordan River and wash seven times. Jesus could have done it that way. Hey, just go down to the river, wash, and you'll be clean. Is that, is that what Jesus did? No. What did Jesus do? He touched him. You see? He touched him. He had, compa- he had compassion on this man. This man who had not endured any sort of, of embrace or or a physical touch from anybody, Jesus reaches out and He touches him. Think about the gravity and the weight of, of that moment. Think about how the crowd would have responded to that. What are you, a, a, an audible gasp. What are you doing? Jesus, you have contaminated yourself. Now you're a leper. How, how could you do something like that, Jesus? Jesus is crazy. It is what the crowd is thinking. Well, the prophet Isaiah, he spoke well and he said that he took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. He didn't just cast them away, he brought them on himself. You see it? 
Do you see it? Do you see that that's what the Lord Jesus has done for us? That He's not only taken our physical illness upon Himself, He has taken our spiritual illness upon Himself. That He's reached out and He's touched us. He has contaminated us with, uh, we have been contaminated, we contaminated Him with our sin. He, he took that upon Himself. He bore our diseases. He bore the weight of the cross. He took the consequences of our sin upon Himself and spoke life to us. He said, be healed. But as we look at, 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 the, at chapter 8, the bulk of chapter 8 is Jesus healing people. In fact, there are countless healings in chapter 8. If, if you look down and, and you were to read a little bit, you would see that Jesus healed all who were sick among them. We don't know how many people Jesus healed in this chapter. He, he healed them. He took compassion on them. He cared about the storms in their life. He also took compassion on them and, and healed them from their spiritual state. When, when the disciples think that they're going to die, His chief concern was not the situation of the boat. His chief concern was their faith. Where is your faith? Why are you not trusting Me? He took compassion on them. He... He cared for them. Jesus is a man of compassion. What sort of man is this? It's a man of compassion. Jesus cares. Listen, He cares about you. He cares about you. He cares about what's wrong in your life. He cares about your illness. He's concerned about your broken marriage. He's concerned about your family member that you're concerned about. He, he's concerned about your illness. He's concerned about your loneliness. He's concerned about your affliction. He cares about that. He cares about your spiritual state that storms reveal your faith. And He cares about your faith in the middle of storms. So as I look at this and I see He's a man of compassion, the only response we can have is whatever, whatever area of your life that, that is this burden to you, what I see in Matthew chapter 8 is take it to Jesus. Make a one last ditch effort and bring it to the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, if you can take care of this, if you will, do it. We know we can. It's a matter of will He. And we bring it to the feet of Jesus. He's a man of compassion. But not only is He a man of compassion, He's also a man of power. Jesus is a man of power. And, and we, don't, we don't have to look very far in Matthew uh, chapter 8 to see that. He speaks a word and, and touches this man, and he's cleansed of his leprosy. Uh, we look in the story of the centurion. He speaks a word. He speaks a word, and the centurion's servant is healed. He speaks a, a word, and the storms, the winds, and the waves um, are, are calm. By the words of his mouth, Jesus' words have power. Now, um, I don't know about you, um, but my words don't have a whole lot of power to them. I can't accomplish, accomplish a whole lot of uh, things with the words of my mouth. Uh, when I ask my children, uh, tell my children to clean their rooms, that doesn't really accomplish much. There's got to be some like consequence or something to get that accomplished, right? It, it takes them forever to get dressed. And, and get dressed and 10 minutes later, why are your shoes not on? It's not that hard. My, my words don't accomplish very much. There has to be something else in place to make those kinds of things happen. My words are pretty powerless. But Jesus speaks and things happen. 
He simply speaks. And the miraculous happens. He's a man of power. And I, I think sometimes we forget that he's a man of power. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jesus is powerful. But then when we have things that we want to pray for, we pray, we have these, these small little to-do lists for Jesus. I don't know if that's you, but that's, that's often me. I think some of us are like that in the room where, where we just have these small to-do lists for Jesus. Lord, help me have a great day today. You know? And he's like, I think I, you know, I think I can handle that one. You got anything else? You know? Why, why don't we take big things to Jesus? Why, why don't we think and dream and, and what is it that we want the Lord to do? Why, why don't we pray and ask God to do God-sized things? We see all over the world God's doing big and miraculous things in other people's lives. Why can't He do it here in this congregation? Maybe we don't ask enough. Maybe, maybe we're not asking at all. But, but He's a man of power. And I wonder if, if our attitude needs to change Maybe we need to, in faith, develop this attitude of, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is, is there anything? That's that rhetorical question kind of resounding throughout the Bible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And I think sometimes maybe our attitude is yes. Because I've seen Him move over there and I've seen Him move over, the, over here, but He's never done anything right here. And I've got this situation and it's like, it, it, it's like a rock in my place and it won't move. But he's a man of power. He's a man of power. And what if we approach Jesus with that kind of faith that truly believe that nothing is too difficult for him? He's a man of power. So where are you? What do you need? What are you dreaming about? What do you dream for this congregation? What, what, do, you, what do you dream for your family? What is it that you need? Who, who is sick among you? Who, what family member has gone astray and is running from the Lord? What is it that you need from the Lord? He's a, he's a man of power. Take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. And he's a man of compassion. He cares. He's a man of, of power. He can do it. But he's also a man of authority. He has the authority to do as he wills. Jesus is a man of authority. For example, in Matthew chapter 8, we see the story of the centurion. We'll, we'll summarize here. There's this, there's this Roman centurion, like a Roman commanding officer. There were no uh, Roman legions in Israel, but, but there, there were um, garrisons that had large amounts of Roman soldiers there. And the backbone of the Roman army were these centurions, these leaders, these commanders. The number one man in the Roman Empire was the emperor. He made an order to the centurions. The centurions turned and they gave orders to foot soldiers. And the foot soldiers understood to disobey the centurion is to disobey the emperor. So this Roman centurion, he's not a Jew, not really a God-fearing man or anything like that, but he knows Jesus has power. And so he goes to Jesus. And he says, my servant is sick. My servant's going to die. Can you heal him? And Jesus says, sure. Just lead the way. I'll follow you. I'll, I'll head that way. And the Roman centurion is, is, is kind of um, overcome by humility. And he says, no, your time is too valuable. I don't need you to come. I don't need you to come with me. I, you're, you're a man of authority. I'm a man of authority. I understand the way that it works. The emperor tells me what to do and I do it. 
I, I have somebody telling me what to do and I do it. And, and also I have people under me and I tell them what to do and they do it. I understand how authority works. Jesus, you have authority. And the authority that you have comes from God. And when you speak, things happen. So you don't need to come, Jesus. Just say the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus' response to that, uh, it says that he, he was astonished at this man's faith. Astonished. Shocked. Shocked by this man's faith. Who's not even a Jew. He didn't know the one true God. But he understood that Jesus was a man of authority. And it wasn't that Jesus was going to uh, make some potion and, and send it so this servant could be healed or that he was going to do some magic trick and this person was going to be healed. He knew Jesus was a man of authority and could speak and things happen. He was a man of authority. We see Jesus' authority when he calms the storm. He simply tells the storm to quit it and it does. That's authority. Have you ever thought, why, why did the ocean or the lake or wherever that was, why why did that obey Jesus? I was thinking about that, and, and I think the reason is this. The wind and the seas had heard His voice before. They, they knew the one that was speaking to them. It was their Creator. The Gospel of John tells us that, that it was the Son of God that created all things. It's through the Son of God that everything's been made. And so when the wind and the seas heard this voice, be still, oh, they'd heard that voice before. They understood authority. And so what did they do? They obeyed. And I see the authority of Jesus in the last story in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus heads to the other side of the lake. On the other side of the lake, there's two men that are possessed by demons. Jesus shows up on the scene and He speaks to them. Now, sometimes we, we, uh, we look at, at these stories of Jesus going to battle with these demons and we, and we view it as a battle, like He's going to battle with these guys. And it's a struggle between good and evil and it's this wrestling match. And Jesus always wins. He outmuscles these demons and, and, and it's, it's a battle. But a, as we look at this story in Matthew chapter 8, it is not a battle. It, it's not a battle at all. It says Jesus comes to them and they are so fierce that no one can pass that way. But Jesus comes to them and they cry out. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? In other words, we know who you are. We know who you are. You're the Son of God. And we know what's in store for us in the future. Leave us alone. And, and they say, please, could you please send us into these, this herd of pigs over here instead of these two men? We know what's about to happen. Could you send us into those pigs instead, please? This is not a battle. This, this is groveling, sniveling at the feet of, of the Son of God. Jesus simply says the word, go. And they go. They understood the authority of the Son of God. They understood authority. Jesus is a man of authority. And we see this all throughout Matthew chapter 8. So here, here's the question then. If, if Jesus is a man of that kind of authority, then He must have the authority to make 
bold and audacious claims on my life. If, if He has that kind of authority, then He must have that kind of authority over me and over you. So, as I look at Matthew 8, here, here's what I see. I see Jesus has amassed a huge crowd. There's this big crowd that's following Jesus. Of course, He's doing miracles. He's doing all these, these incredible things and they want to see more and they want more. The crowds are growing because of what He's done. And then He heads to the other side of the lake for a little bit of rest. He wants to get away from the crowd. And, and what happens is there's two guys who want to follow. There are two guys who want to get on the boat too. And one of them, He, he says in, in verse uh, 19, he says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus looks at this man and he says, okay, well, foxes have holes and, and birds, they have, they have nests. But I'm homeless. I don't have anywhere to lay my head. Are you good with that? Another, another guy says to Jesus, I, I want to follow you, but first, I need my, my, my dad just passed away. I, I've got to go bury my father. And Jesus looks at him and he says, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, that, that sounds kind of harsh. Um, and Don't make this harder than it has to be. Jesus is not saying if you want to, if you want to follow me, uh, you can't have a bed or a house and you can't go to your dad's funeral. That, that's not what that means. But what, what he's saying is this. In, in summary, what he's saying is, if you want to follow me, then completely rearrange your priorities. Lay aside this, this desire that we have for security and safety and comfort. Lay that aside. Rearrange the priority of your relationships. I'm more important than family, as Jesus is telling this, this man. That, that's That's hard. And, and if it were any other person making this claim, rearrange your priorities and put me at number one. If that were any other person, that would sound crazy. That would be a cult leader. That would be somebody you should run from. But Jesus is a man of authority and power. And he has the right to make those kinds of claims to you and to me. That Jesus would say, I'm more important than your wallet. And I'm, I'm more important than your calendar. I, I'm more important than your priorities. I, I'm number one. That He has the authority to say those kinds of things. Roman foot soldiers understood authority. The wind and the waves, they understood that kind of authority. Those two demon-possessed Men, those, those demons, they, they understood authority. They knew who the Son of God was. But I wonder this morning, just us sitting in this room, do we understand that kind of authority? Or do we just kind of take and leave what we want and want to reserve the right to hang on to a few priorities that are more important than Jesus? Or what sort of man is this? He's a man of compassion. He's a man of power. He's a man of authority. He, he's, a, he's a man of compassion. He cares about the storm you're in. Some of you, you came into here and you can't even, um, the, the songs, you can't connect with them. 
We open God's word and we read it and it's the furthest thing from your mind because you're, you came in with a burden. He's a man of compassion. He's a man of compassion. Take it to the Lord. Take it to Him. And He's a man of power. He can calm any storm that you bring to Him. But here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus doesn't want to amass a crowd. Jesus' number one goal is not to amass a crowd who's just looking for calmer seas. That's not what Jesus is after. He doesn't want crowds. Jesus wants disciples. He wants disciples. And He has authority. He's in charge of everything. And He's calling some of you in the room. He's calling you now. He's saying, come out from the crowd and be my disciples. Oh, it'll cost you. Oh, it'll cost you. You're going to have to rearrange your priorities. But come out from the crowd and be my disciple. And my question for you then, Many of us in the room would call ourselves Christ followers. Jesus says, come follow me. And we'd say, okay, I'm following you, Jesus. So then my question for you is this. How has your choice to follow Jesus affected you? What is different about you because you follow Jesus? See, there could be somebody who would stand up here and, and preach. And they would they'd give you the sales pitch on why you should be a Christian and why you should follow Jesus. And they give you the sales pitch and they give you the benefits. Like, um, it, it, the Bible has a lot of good moral teaching and, and it, it gives you a hope and something to, to cling to. And you can raise your kids to be good, upstanding citizens. And you've got a group of people who love you and care for you. And all those things are true about the church. And that... That's part of being the crowd. The, the crowd benefited from being around Jesus. They liked His teaching. They liked Him doing miracles and all these incredible things. He liked it when they calmed their storms. But as soon as Jesus starts to say things like, come follow me, and starts to do things that, that maybe they didn't particularly like, they stopped following Jesus. Jesus isn't looking for crowds. He wants disciples. He's looking for people who are willing to lay aside security and comfort, to rearrange priorities and, and relationships in order to make Him number one. How has following Jesus affected you? And when I, when I think about, uh, about the crowds versus the disciples, I can't help but wonder, Matthew chapter 8, who had the better experience? See, Crowds were healed of disease and got to see all these amazing things and rejoice and then go home. The disciples, they got to see all these amazing things and then they got on a boat and almost died. They were brought into a storm. Who, who had the better deal here? Who had the better experience in Matthew chapter 8? The, the ones put in the, the, the dangerous situations were the ones that were closest to Jesus. Those were the ones who found themselves in difficulty. The crowd was partying and rejoicing on the beach. The disciples were fearing for their lives in the lake. And, and I wonder, how, how did the disciples get there? How did they get to, um, in, in a boat, on a lake, 
when there's a storm? How did they end up there? The very first verse I read you this morning, verse 23. When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Do you know how the disciples ended up in an uncomfortable situation? They followed Jesus. If we're going to follow Jesus, we should expect storms and difficulty to build and and develop our faith. We should expect that. Following Jesus will lead you into storms. It will lead you into difficulty. But if Jesus is the man of compassion who cares, if if He's the man of power who has the ability to calm anything He wants to calm, and He's the man of authority who, who can calm those things, but also has the authority to speak over our lives and make demands, then He is worth following. He's absolutely worth all of the difficulty and all of the struggle. There's nothing better than following Jesus. But I can't make that decision for you. I can't have you come to that conclusion. That's a conclusion that you have to come to on your own. And so I'd ask you, I'd ask you, how has following Jesus affected you? How has it affected your priorities? How has it affected your calendar and how you plan things? How has it affected your, the way you use your time, the way you use your money? How has it reflect, uh, uh, affected your relationships? It's worth considering. Am I following Jesus? It's, it's worth considering. Here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to close like this. We're going to have a time of ministry. And what I'd ask you to do is I'd ask you to consider that. How, how has Following Jesus affected my life. Some of you would say, I'm not following Jesus. I'm not following Him. And maybe that's worth considering too. Then then who are you following? We're going to spend some time, we're going to sing, we're going to sing, I will build my life upon your love. I, I will actively build my life upon this foundation of God's love for me. And I will follow Him, I'll put my trust and him alone. We're going to sing that again, and we're going to sing it loud because we want to say, Lord, I want this to be true in me. Maybe in some areas of my life I'm still holding back, but Lord, I want it to be true in me, and we're going to sing it. Some of you are going to say, man, I, I'm considering this. I, I'm not sure. Come up. We're going to have elders and, and pastors and, and prayer team leaders that are going to pray for you. You can ask for prayer. Some of you, you, you can't see past any of this. All that's in your mind is this burden that you've brought. This, this time of difficulty. And here's what I'd say. In this time of ministry, bring it to the Lord. You can do it from your seat. That's fine. But bring it to the altar. Or bring it to somebody who will pray for you. Join you in prayer over this thing. But bring it to the Lord. And He's a man of compassion. He cares. He's a man of power. He's a man of authority. And so this is the man we worship. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so we're going to respond in these ways. Let, let me pray and then we're going to spend some time in response.